This has been an exciting series for me just simply because of the study of the book of uh, 2 Timothy and how it seems to relate so perfectly to what's going on in our day and also to see the, uh, the series in Romans just coming alongside that and just, just really exciting me to think that God's word just fits our lives for the present time, this current time. And uh, so if you would, I want to look at that scripture and Pastor Mark read uh, from verse 10. I want to just go to uh, verse 14 and we'll be looking at um, these verses a little bit. And I want you to notice the title of the message is Washing My Mind in the Truth of God's Word. So what the, the concept is that the Word of God, like uh, fresh water just springing forth, is just cleansing our minds and keeping our minds where they ought to be. And uh, it just stands to reason then, logic tells you that if you're going to allow the Word of God, and if it's true that the Word of God will bring cleansing to our minds, that we ought to be in the Word of God. And something that you find here oftentimes coming from this pulpit anyway is that the, 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 the centrality of the Word of God in our lives is we live in this world, in this society, in our particular culture. And that culture has changed over the years. I mean, I uh, have been living a long time, and uh, back in the, in the 50s and in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, why we saw transition and we saw much happening in our world and the trends and also in the uh, philosophies and the ideas that were coming forth into our educational system and into the general public. And uh, uh, I once uh, preached a message on, uh, on this portion of scripture, and in those days I had been listening to someone and, and uh, a very popular author at that time, and uh, he had been preaching a series, and he just touched upon one aspect of this and the whole idea of Paul teaching them uh, to allow their minds to be flooded with the word of God and in order that they may live Christianly. And that word maybe was penned. I don't even know if it's a real word or not. But uh, today we want to see what Paul is saying to young Timothy as far as uh, what he is saying. You take the word of God. You allow that word of God to flow through your heart and mind to actually mold uh, your thoughts, your thought life. Well, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? However, when we get up in the morning, oftentimes we go out of our homes, whether we're going to the job or whether we're going to school or whether we're just going into our community, we find many things that happen to our lives which cause us to uh, not to be able to focus on God's word. Well, we could if we really wanted to, couldn't we? But somehow we get sidetracked, and oftentimes the church of today is so sidetracked, especially in our culture, in the, the United States of America, and uh, we get our, our focus honed in on a particular thing that's happening in our lives, and the Word of God remains on the bedside stand or in the bookshelf, and it's never opened, and the Word of God never has that opportunity to come through our minds and to bring that cleansing and to adjust what is going on in our hearts and lives. And so today I want to think about that as we, as we look at this. We're, we're coming to the close. We have one more chapter to go. 
uh, in this series on 2 Timothy. But as we come to this portion of Scripture, we're talking about Paul's emphasis on the Word of God and the, the, uh, the becoming entrenched, so to speak, or steadfast in the Scriptures. Now, all of you understand its importance. However, all of us neglect it so often and are so easily sidetracked that we don't allow the word of God to do its work in our lives. Whose fault is that? Is it the Bible? Or is it God's fault? Or could it be that we just have not given ourselves to the challenge of living in the midst of the word and allowing that word to color our thinking and to actually manage our thinking so that we live Christian and godly lives, lives of righteousness in our world. Now, the church has been around for a long time, longer than the United States of America, and yet I would say, dare say today, that the church and the influence of the church has never been weaker in these United States. And the challenge has been put forth to us through the word itself that we are to stand. We are to stand in the midst of the battle. We are to be planning, we are to be scrutinizing, we are to be uh, living our lives in such a way that we are making a difference and we're subverting, if you remember that, subverting society, subverting the, the culture or the philosophies of a fallen world. And so now the Apostle Paul is moving on. He's told us, he's told young Timothy, by the way, Timothy was pastoring a church in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul, having been taken away and imprisoned, it was going to be his very last stay in prison. Really a rough life. And he speaks so clearly here, reminding young Timothy of the times that Timothy was actually a, uh, with Paul in ministry and seeing how the world reacted to the gospel and seeing how difficult it really was to live a life that was focused on eternity and laying aside those things that we consider to be more important in our lives, in our living. And uh, then, of course, we, we understand the scripture that tells us that uh, all things work together to those who love God, love him, and serve him. Initially, when we came into the service today, we looked at that scripture that in Romans chapter 11, talking about the grace and the resources of God, and then seeing what God's uh, expecting in our, my response and your response as we lay ourselves before the Lord and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Use everything that's about me. And how can we say out of one side of our face that and then we go off into our lives and we continue to live just like the world lives around us? God expects the church to be different. God expects the believer to be different in his thinking, in his, his motivation, in his lifestyle, in his love for his community, and his love for his family. Different. And how do we get ourselves or train ourselves to think uh, as, as believers today? Um, and just logic would tell you that we need to then saturate the message that God has given to us. And the word itself says this is God-breathed. 
the words of Scripture, God-breathed. Not just simply somebody mechanically picking up a pencil and writing, but somehow God takes in his creative uh, way, uh, through his breath, he breathes life in. Not only did he bring forth the creature, not only did he bring forth creation as we know it, but he breathed forth his very word. And that word becomes the energy of life itself. It should for us as believers. I want to read something before I go any further, and it's, it's uh, thoughts about um, saturating our thinking, our thought life with the, the thoughts of God and how uh, a man uh, who was a, a great leader in his day, his name is, uh, was John Wesley, and these are his words about, um, about the Bible. Uh, he wrote this in, uh, in the preface of his sermon book. And this is what he said, I am a creature of the day, passing through life and his arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf. A few moments hence, I am no more seen. I drop into the, an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven. How to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. I believe as we come to the scriptures today, we ought to have on our hearts that same kind of yearning and desire the very word of God, the knowledge and the understanding of God. And God makes it available to us. It is ours then to, to bathe our hearts and our minds and our thoughts and our actions in the very word of God. The words of John Wesley become uh, uh, words that summarize for every believer the view of Scripture. And young Timothy would see it as well by by bathing his mind in God's word. Timothy as a, a pastor, as a believer, as a Christian of, that, of his day would see reality from God's perspective. And that's what we want, isn't it? Don't we want to see reality from the perspective of Almighty God, Creator God? And then be able to think God's thoughts. This is very practical for us, folks. It isn't something that we just tuck away in our Bibles. It, it, is, it is Christian living. It is something that we can chew on, that we can uh, digest, and that we can see transform our lives into actions that are biblical. And our, our perspective then of our world as it is today would be then based upon God's thoughts, his holy word. Wisdom comes from continually reading and, and just bathing in the Word of God and studying the Bible. This is daily exposure. It isn't just Sunday to Sunday exposure to the Word. It calls upon us to understand God's Word as we read it every day and get uh, that Word into our hearts and into our minds. Now, if you look at verse 14, as you turn in your Bibles to uh, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, you remember 
that uh, as we've been studying this portion of Scripture, this book of Bi the Bible, the letter of Paul, why Paul has some very tender concerns for this young man, Timothy. He had seen him come and begin to develop in his Christian life, in his walk. He understood his past. He understood uh, that uh, he was uh, uh, perhaps not long for this world, and so his desire was to see a young man come along who would take on the responsibilities that God had once given to the Apostle Paul. And so he speaks uh, his very wonderful concern for young Timothy. And Timothy was a young preacher at that time. And uh, remember, Paul was in prison. He was about to be uh, separated from his head and then carried out of that prison and thrown in a, uh, uh, a particular uh, grave. And so uh, for the last time here, as Paul is is endeavoring to communicate with this young man, you begin to see his heart. And he said, you were with me, Timothy. You were with me in the persecution. You were with me in this particular city, in that particular city. And you saw the response of many people who would rise up in antagonism and persecution and endeavor to put us to death. And you've seen me beaten. You've seen me along the road just left for dead. You've seen me suffer and you've seen me go to prison for the glorious gospel. And remember Paul's letter to the Philippians? Oh, it was one of rejoicing. One of rejoicing in the midst of suffering. And so when we look at the trials of our lives, we ought to look at the backdrop that God has given to us in the life of the Apostle Paul and the trials of his life and in his willingness to lay down his very life and offer himself as a living sacrifice to his God. And so this epistle, this letter, is very somber, but it's alive with joyous hope. And I, I don't think we need to go very far before we recognize that, that, that the Apostle Paul lives beyond what's happening every day and the roughness and the difficulty of his life. He's keeping his mind upon the word of God and the promises that God just fills our hearts and our understanding with from his word. And so Paul's warning him, Timothy, of the great apostasy that actually is going on. Remember uh, when we talk about the, the, the last days, as Paul reflects at the beginning of this, this uh, series, the last days, they were from that time when Jesus set foot on planet earth until Jesus was glorified, or until we see Jesus in glory. So it's the last days. And, and uh, even in this particular chapter, Paul is saying why men will rise up against the very gospel message and they will wax and they will be, they'll wax or grow uh, stronger and stronger as time goes. And yet he wanted young Timothy to be encouraged. And he says, uh, he, he warns Timothy of the, this great apostasy that's going on in chapter 3. He makes the statement in verse 13 that, that evil-minded people uh, uh, will, will flourish. You say sometimes, what's going on here? Well, Jesus is going to come soon. And his great purpose 
And the ministry of the gospel has been going forth in the wickedness of, of this world. And he's saying, as those days approach, the evil will increase. Before the rapture of the church, the times will be difficult for true believers, getting worse as the day of the Lord approaches. Now, sometimes we are so caught up in our lifestyle and the good things that are going on in our lives and the relative ease in which we find ourselves living that we take this word and we forget that this word is written to people all over the world. And by the way, the majority of the church in the world is in trouble, in difficulty, and suffering. It just so happens that the American church has been very fortunate, well, if, if we can say that. But the day is approaching. Just as an example that I remember as a young pastor, and that was about 40 years ago, I uh, was a young preacher once, yes. I, uh, I had married a beautiful young lady, and we had three wonderful, lively kids. And uh, we had a congregation at that time. It was our first church who loved this little family, and they nurtured this particular man. And uh, we were in the last days... And I knew it from my studies, theology, and what the Bible had said to me. I knew we were in the last days, but I'll tell you what, life was sweet. And I gave no thought to the last days. Except as a young preacher, I'd had a desire to see people come to a saving knowledge of Christ. We were in the last days. Life was happy. Life was very sweet. It was exciting, and it was sure to get better and better. We just felt that's the way it would be. I, as a young pastor there and very content in what I was doing, went one day to hear one of my favorite Bible teachers on the radio. His name was J. Vernon McGee. I don't know if any of you have ever studied any of his materials, but I loved it when he'd come to town. And I was in Sarasota, Florida at the time, and I went over to a large Baptist church across town and had the opportunity, the first time in life, to sit under his ministry. And it was different. It wasn't the radio. It was different to see him. And it was very impressive as he spoke. And uh, uh, as I uh, had opportunity to, to, to just sit in his ministry, I, I just loved everything I heard. But I heard some things that um, heretofore that had kind of gone like this and over my head. And he was talking about the last days and the work and the ministry of the church. And it began to get under my skin and I began to ask the Lord to give me an understanding of what it meant to be living in the last days. All those things in my life seemed to be going very smoothly. Well, I knew very well that there was coming a time when there would be a bump or there would be a death or there would be something else that would happen in my life that would take me out of this sweetness of life and throw me into the reality of what it meant to grow up. I learned a great deal from this dear old man. McGee's subject um, that weekend was, or that week was on apostasy in the 70s, and I agreed with him in his teachings, but uh, apostasy was no big issue in my circle. 
at that time. Today, I hear Jay Vernon loudly proclaiming this in my mind's eye because this is what he said that day. The only antidote against a world of apostasy is the word of God. And it lay a foundation for me in my thinking. And although it hadn't been tried and tested, it would become a foundation for years ahead. And I would just lay that foundation for you today. And I believe it comes directly from the heart of God, even as we hear from the Apostle Paul. Now look, if you would. <clears throat> and by the way, we're going to look at verse 16 pretty soon. But right now I want you to look at verses 14 and 15. Listen. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Wonderful portion of scripture, isn't it? It gives us our basis for our belief. It gives us our basis for our hope as well. <clears throat> And Paul is exhorting young Timothy and exhorting you and exhorting me today <clears throat> to continue in the things that he had learned. Continue. Paul reminds him that it was as a young boy that he was hearing from the word of God. His mother was a faithful Christian. His grandmother was a faithful Christian. And they had input into their lives. Some of you are grandmothers <clears throat> and grandfathers, and you can have an influence in the lives of the young children in this church. Some of you are teachers, and you minister every day to children. And there may come a day when some wise old preacher will say to some of those children who are growing up, remember, you had access to the very word of God in that classroom. You had access to the word of God at your grandmother, your grandfather's knee. You had access to the truth of God's word. And so Paul is exhorting him here, Timothy. And uh, Timothy had grown up on the word of God. Verse 15, he says this, they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting Christ Jesus. That's what it says. How important is ministry to young people and children? It is vital, church. How important is it for you as a parent to lead your child into the word of God and help them to understand from God's perspective the realities of life? The salvation that is past and present and future, Paul is talking about. I have been saved from sin. I am going to be saved from sin. I shall be saved from sin. Looking at the past, Christ paid for my sin's penalty. The present is that Christ enables me. He enabled me to be saved from this present sinful world. Enable me right now, right now, to grow and bring Understanding his deliverance right here in this time and in this day. The study of the word of God is the only help that I have right now. 
and right here. You know, I, can, I have contemporary psychology. I have <clears throat> the educational system of this world. I have all the input from the television that gives me wonderful things to chew on, doesn't it? I have all that I can handle in the, in the reading of men's ideas and philosophies, but it all is meaningless apart from the God's perspective that we find in his holy word. The study of the word of God is the only help, only real help. Sometimes we're stubborn and we think that we have to go elsewhere when we have the word of God that will meet our spiritual needs. The word of God tells us itself that it's God makes us wise in knowing how to live here on this earth. Look at verse 16 now, if you would. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. This is a marvelous expression that Paul gives us of God's desire for us in his word and related to his word. Look at, at that word inspiration. It, it, it means God breathed. It's, the, it's that creative force of God. It's the rush. It's the blast that comes as God creates within us. It's the spirit of God moving upon and within the life of of the believer. <clears throat> God's word, God breathed, <clears throat> scripture, the wonderful Bible that we possess, and we have a problem, don't we, today, of taking it for granted. <clears throat> what does Paul say here? As he is inspired by God, or as the breath of God gives that blast in his heart and life as the spirit of God begins to move in such powerful ways and creative ways and the word itself creates. My own paraphrase of 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 is this. It can be summed up like this. The scripture prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but those men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we have within the pages of Scripture the very word of God, for it has been God-breathed. This whole idea of inspiration. A challenge today to live in a world that stands apart from the very word of God. What does Paul say? He's talking about the word of God going forth and standing in the midst of our generation. Not only young Timothy's generation, but our generation as well. In a concise way, a very concise way in verse 16, Paul gives us clearly the purpose. I should say the purposes of, of scripture in the life of the believer today. And there are four of them. The first is all scripture is good for or useful. What's it say? It's profitable 
for teaching. That's speaking about doctrine. That's the, the doctrine which the Lord God put in the heart and the mind of these godly writers. And he's creating the word with his very breath, with his very spirit. And he says that scripture is profitable, it's good, it's usable for teaching. It instructs our minds about those things which only God understands. The truth about ourselves. About God's perspective on where we live where we have our being. The answers, the guidance that we need for successful and righteous living, godly living, are given in this God-breathed book, God's instruction book. It's useful for teaching, folks. There's something else here. The second is this, then Paul says that the Bible is good for or useful for rebuking. A good word for that may be providing conviction. We don't like to feel as if we've been convicted, but you know, as a healthy Christian, don't you want God to direct our thinking and to, 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 to help us to, or to hinder us in the way of temptation? He gives us the spirit of conviction. And oftentimes it's the word of God that brings that conviction to become a reality in our minds and our thinking. Useful for rebuking. Read your Bible faithfully and you'll see something in your life needing change. I guarantee it. If you're faithful to reading God's word, he is going to give you direction for the practical, practical act, uh, 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 exercise of your life or just doing. We need the word of God. It brings Rebuke. It brings conviction so that we know that we must make a change, that we must have a different perspective, and that we must surrender what we're holding on to in this life that is going against the very word of God. We'll see something in our life that needs changing if we'll read. A habit, maybe, a relationship, the way we treat people. And suddenly, in the reading of God's word, we are moved upon by that creative spirit of God through the word of God. And we know that we must do something in our life to bring about change. We need to change that thing, that habit, that relationship, that attitude. Suddenly, you know you have to change it. And so the Bible has the ability to rebuke our sins. Next, in the same verse, in 16, the Bible powerfully corrects. Or when, when we talk about that, it's why he calls us to walk before him in a particular way. In the Sermon on the Mount, we talked about the broad way, the narrow way. When we come to Christ, when we have trusted in Christ completely in our lives. He sets us on a life course, and he wants us to move in that course. And it's the Bible that keeps us on course. It's his holy word. And it corrects. It puts us off the wrong path, and it puts us back onto the path that leads to life. It's a road map. 
It leads to blessing and avoids destruction. Then quickly on to the, this next one, the final of the four. God's word is good. It's profitable for training in righteousness. In other words, the Bible fine-tunes our daily walk. It fine-tunes the way we think. It fine-tunes what we do in our lives. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Righteous living. In other words, how to live. Well, the Bible motivates me. It coaches me. It empowers me. How wonderful is the word of God, and yet how often do I neglect it? Verse 17 gives us the ultimate goal of the Bible. If you just look at verse 17. It says, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do we know how we are to live? The word of God. How are we to know the direction we should take in our lives in serving and in purpose, the word of God. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. That means equipped as much as you need to be equipped on this side of heaven. We're seeking this and we're seeking that and so often we go everywhere else but to the word of God for the answers to life, the answers that just bring us to discouragement and despair. God's way of preparing us in every, every way fully equips for every good thing that God wants us to do. That's what Paul is saying to young Timothy. He's saying it to you and to me. And so there's a challenge as we close to read your Bible with a sense of excitement, a sense that God is speaking and that with a wonderful, renewed sense of expectation, I open the book. A renewed sense of expectation. Have you been transformed? Are you being transformed by the very word of God? This God-breathed book that instructs the mind, grabs the heart, brings alive the human spirit, leads us to salvation, leads us to eternal life with our Lord. I trust that today you know him, that you have trusted Jesus Christ as the full answer to the dilemma of your sinful condition. And that in trusting him, you have trusted his word to bring you to that place where you may live effectively for his glory. Feed your soul on the word of God. I want to close this time with just singing the first stanza of number 392. And it really brings us to a declaration, and this is declaration time. 
and you know the word of God, and you know that God is demanding of you this day that you live a challenge. And that the title of this song is, Who is on the Lord's Side? Let's stand and sing it. I want you to sing from a heart that is saying, Yes, Lord, I want all of you, and I want you to have all of me. And I am doing just what Paul said in Romans 12, verse 2. I'm offering up my life for you completely. <laughs> 